Support for this podcast comes from the Bank of San Antonio, the bank with an incredible team of business banking coaches who partner with business owners to share the strategy needed to fund and grow their business. Member FDIC. So today's story isn't about brand storytelling and the business of marketing and PR. It's actually a story about the power of phenomenal will. It's the story of an entrepreneur whose dreams are so big, but her commitment to show up every day in work towards those dreams is even bigger. This entrepreneur shows us the concept of going all in. She is obsessed with exceeding expectations every day. I mean, but certainly when I started my business 20 years ago, the times were a little bit different. And so I use that to really exceed expectations because when somebody underestimated me, it was my opportunity to blow their socks off. In episode three, we talk with Trish DeBerry, San Antonio's go-to expert on business strategy, community engagement, and media relations. Trish is the founder of the DeBerry Group, where she specializes in the art of telling her clients' stories to the right people in the right way. In a sense, she builds the engine for ideas to spread. And ideas that spread win. Welcome to the San Antonio Business Heroes. I'm your host, Inhalika Palm, here with a business blueprint that shows how businesses are built and grown in San Antonio. Each month, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unleash your full business potential. Today, we share exclusive insights from a public relations and strategic mastermind on how to anchor your brand deeply in the consciousness of your target audience. No matter how brilliant and innovative your work is, you'll need help connecting to the people your business is meant to serve. That's where spreading the right idea to the right people wins every time. This conversation is going to give you a peek into what all great brand strategists know, and it's going to change how you see brand strategy. I'm excited about this, and I want you to share this with your friends, colleagues, and those who need inspiration to power their business or idea. So as you're listening, take a screenshot, tell me what you think about the podcast, or tag us at SA Business Heroes over on Instagram and Facebook. Let us know that you're listening and what you'd like to hear more about. We look forward to hearing from you. Trish spent a decade as a reporter, anchor, and producer, and then in 2012 opened her own firm, The DeBerry Group, which now has 21 employees and a roster of well-known clients. Trish's idea of a great day is to begin by clicking into the pedals of her bike for a 5.30 a.m. spin class, and from there, embarks on her daily mission of making change happen. And for Trish, change can mean changing demand for her clients' products, changing the school systems, changing the law. It's been an incredible experience all the way around. I mean, it's what I really love about being an entrepreneur because it's fast and it's furious and it's exhilarating and it's exhausting and you never know what the day is going to hold. And I kind of thrive in that sort of atmosphere. And so I think being an entrepreneur, I do think that either you're cut out for it or you're not cut out for it because 
There are so many obstacles and challenges that are thrown in your way on a daily basis, but there's so much incredible opportunity associated with being an entrepreneur too, which makes it so fulfilling. I have two teenagers. Officially, I have two teenagers. And so the official day begins with a spin class at 5.30 in the morning. I come home, I take a shower really quickly, get ready for work, get them to school, make sure that they have everything they need from a homework standpoint, and then the day begins. Like, I've got a to-do list that I'm checking off those boxes kind of in my mind as I'm driving into work. Um, but the weird thing about my job too, which makes it so crazy, but also so much fun, is I could get a phone call on my way into work that completely changes the complexity of the day. Um, what I thought I was going to be doing, now I'm not necessarily doing that because I either have to delegate out the, some of the things that I was going to do, and then I have a client crisis that I'm working on, and so that client crisis is taking up all of my time, and there I kind of compare it to a stovetop. And so that client goes to the front and becomes like a rolling boil, and then all the other things that I'm dealing with are kind of on the back burners and they're simmering, but then sometimes you have to change around the pots depending on what the demand is. So the days go by really fast. You know, I'm interacting with the team on a regular basis. We're brainstorming about things, um, client meetings, um, new client pitches. I mean, I guess one thing you could say about me is I don't really have a typical day because I think that's the life of an entrepreneur. It's non-typical. In this interview, Trish shares the secrets to effective marketing that you can be proud of. They say that the best way to complain is to find a better way. But it's difficult to do if you can't spread the word or earn revenue for what you do. The first step on the path to making things better is to make better things. Better is the change we see when the market embraces what we're offering. You can make things better by making change happen. And sharing your path to better is called marketing. And you can do it too. Trish has earned the respect and trust of some of the biggest brands in San Antonio. In fact, former San Antonio city manager Cheryl Scully says this, Trish is a highly successful entrepreneur. What I admire most about Trish is her no-nonsense approach to every challenge. Trish is always thoughtful, always prepared, and candid about the issue at hand. She tells us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. I do think to a certain extent, I have a little bit of entrepreneurial DNA, but I think that that comes from the fact that I was born into a very large family, the youngest of six children. I had to speak up for myself. I had to advocate for myself because it was very easy to get lost in the shuffle. I also had an incredibly powerful role model in my mother who was a working mother um, who instilled in me very early, you know, get an education, put your mind to what you want to do. And if you do that and you work hard, there should be nothing you can't accomplish. And so I think that all of that rolled into my experience, really propelled me forward to say, hey, I can try this, I can do this. Because what I don't want to do is live life with regret and say, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Absolutely. Absolutely. If wishers were horses, we would all be riding. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, looking at your mother and setting the example of being a working mom, I, I can't imagine having six children and being a working mom. Mm -hmm. Do you remember one of the most pivotal moments when you saw what she was doing and what she was putting on the line every day for the family? You know, my mom is this incredibly special person that I think was really able to balance and juggle. And really, that's what 
a woman in the workplace, especially if you want a family. And I talk about it a lot, about how do you strike that balance? And it is a constant juggle. And she was really good about that. But even with six kids, when you asked her, who is your favorite child? She would always say, it's the child that needs me the most on that day. And so she was always really good about, you know, being a mother, I think there's this gut instinct that one child is out of sorts, and so you have to pay extra special attention to that one child. But we never really felt like we weren't getting the attention that all of us needed collectively. But I think I saw how tired she was. Um, I think, you know, she certainly was working in a position that paid a, a modest income. It certainly wasn't something that was six figures. But it's just, it's funny. We never felt like we were without, right. you know, and... The house that we were in was very small, but when I look back on it you know, in my childhood, it seemed like a really big house. And, and there was a lot of love. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Trish encourages entrepreneurs to always embrace opportunity, which she learned at a tender age as the youngest of six children and having to speak up so that she could be heard. That self-belief and assertiveness has inspired her to embark on paths not many women did when she ran for mayor in 1992 or when she opened up her own business in 2012. Her journey hasn't been easy. In fact, as a working mother of two teenagers, she demonstrates the power of phenomenal will, even when she is underestimated. In fact, she sees these moments as her opportunity to obliterate expectations. That's how she built a pioneering, women-owned, women-directed business into one that today advises Fortune 500 companies. It's not easy, and that's what, that is what I try to counsel, especially women, young women with children, much like yourself. Yes. It's exhausting. Yes. I mean, it really is. By the time you keep up with the demands of a job and you come home, you know, you put on your second hat because really the job begins all over again. A new job begins at home with your kids, and inevitably, as you're juggling those balls that I talked about, like my mother, a ball is going to drop. And I think that's where I really learned, I think, a little bit later in life that I don't beat myself up so much when one of those ball drops. Because inevitably, my daughter was supposed to be picked up at a certain time. And I got involved in a client meeting and my mind was elsewhere. And all of a sudden, I'm getting a text, Mom, you're supposed to be here. And immediately, you know, I'm texting somebody, can you please go pick up Maddie or somebody in my office to go pick up Maddie, and, and there's an immense amount of guilt that comes with, with that, but I just think that you've got to be really cognizant of the fact that you're accomplishing a lot throughout the day, yes. and they know that. It's real easy for us to like live off of guilt and beating ourselves up, um, but you just have to, I think, reconcile the fact that we're not going to be able to do everything every day. But just as her mother, who worked outside of the home, did for her, Trish leads by example to her own children and teammates. She believes that your daily routine is the heart of your life, and while each day may hold a variety of challenges, the common action is showing up every day, no matter what. So really, my kids grew up going into the office with me every single day. They used to call it the stroller brigade as we went across Houston Street <laughs> and into the office. Um, it wasn't just myself, but my partner had kids, people in the office had kids, obviously, but if they weren't in the daycare and I wasn't up there visiting with them when I had time, they were really playing underneath my desk <laughs> at the office before they went to school. And so I think that that's also an incredibly powerful lesson is that they saw mom go to work every single day. And I also know how hard mom works. And I think that those are important lessons for them too, that 
you know, nothing comes easy. No. Um, yeah, but with hard work, you can accomplish a lot. Well, and a big part of being an entrepreneur is showing up every day. Yes, no matter what. And so a child, I think, seeing their mom show up every day is a powerful lesson demonstrated through action. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's, it's good for them even when they're in school and they look at homework or they look at lessons or maybe my daughter doesn't want to take an AP class, mm -hmm. you know, in STEM because she doesn't think that that's too hard. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the behavior that's being modeled is mm -hmm. at least put your best foot forward and try it. And if it's not something that you're cut out for, it's okay. Because I'm also a big proponent of fail forward. Um, that when I talk about not living life with regret, that, you know, people have big ideas all the time. And I think that they live their lives and they think, dang, I wish I would have done that. I love the positive determination about failing forward. In a moment, you'll hear how many entrepreneurs are faced with the ongoing challenge of finding the right team. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, the Bank of San Antonio, member FDIC. Now, if you're like many San Antonians out there who have a great idea but don't quite know how to get started, or if you have a business and you're thinking about scaling up, you know that there's plenty of information out there, but you don't have time to scour the internet for it. This is where the Bank of San Antonio can help you with their business banking coaches who share the information you need to fund and grow your business. Better yet, get the Bank of San Antonio's Guide to Full Business Growth, the Business Blueprint, when you go to thebankofsa.com forward slash business blueprint. Download your free Business Blueprint Guide today at thebankofsa.com forward slash business blueprint. We last left off talking about how many entrepreneurs are faced with the ongoing challenge of finding the right team. And not only that, once they find the right team, it's often difficult to hand over the responsibility that comes with that expertise. You know, I think one of the hardest lessons as an entrepreneur that I had to learn was the art of delegation, because I think it's so difficult to want to micromanage everything and every person and every client and every project. And there is no way, if you're going to grow a business, that you are going to be able to micromanage everything. I mean, you have got to be able to delegate responsibility. You have got to be able to empower people to do their job. You know, and sometimes those people might fail there again, but those are important and valuable lessons. It's how you recover from those things, you know, that teach us how to move on from them. But I've got a great team that I've cultivated over the years, and I do think that although I touch projects and we have multiple things that are going on, I don't micromanage people. And I think I have learned to delegate responsibility, but when I have to take control and I have to take the reins, believe me, I know how to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, in choosing that team, so as part of the entrepreneurial journey, I'm sure it's difficult to pick the right people and then beyond that, make sure that they're sitting in the right seats on the bus. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? That is one of the hardest, I think, or most challenging tasks associated with building a business. And that really is hiring the right people. Um, and I think it comes through a lot of interviews. Um, you know, I've learned a lot over the years that it's not just about the owner interviewing, that you need to pull a team together, um, that you need to come up with a really strong job description so that they understand exactly 
what the job is and what it's supposed to be and how they can grow into the position. And, and, you know, typically people come in and they want upward mobility and, you know, how that all works too. So I think there is not only a job description, but I think there has to be a track Mm -hmm. that they're on to achieve the kind of success that they want to as well. But I will say one of the strongest indicators I have as far as a hire is concerned and what I really look for when I look at like if I want to look at a key performance, a KPI, a key performance indicator, I'm going to look for somebody who has a critical thinking skill. Hiring the right people is a unique formula and Trish has learned the importance of careful consideration, but she isn't afraid to fail forward when it means getting the right people in the right positions on her team. I don't want somebody who when a challenge or an obstacle is presented comes back to me and says, well, I've done some research and this appears to be the way that most people do it or the way it's always been done. I want somebody who's gonna take a step back, really delve into it and come up with maybe, you know, a solution that has not been thought of before, is outside the box, uh, is innovative, um, is creative, at the same time being cost efficient, But somebody who takes all of those things into consideration before they come to me with, hey, we as a team have decided that this is the best way that we're going to tackle this. And so I think finding somebody with those critical thinking skills, because I cannot tell you how many times I've had an interview with somebody, especially because I work in the field of PR, people automatically think, well, I'm really good with people. If I hear that again, so if anybody who's listening, yes, if you're in an interview with me, do not say that because the job is so much more than that. Yeah. Um, like I said, I mean, it's the critical thinking skills associated with it. It's team building, um, you know, and I think as an entrepreneur, you also can't be afraid to know when you've made the wrong hire. Even though the hiring process can be lengthy and an employee can show promise, an entrepreneur can often find themselves stuck if that same employee demonstrates that they're simply not the right fit for the organization. For Trish, that's an important and vital decision to make. But I think, you know, you've got to, as an entrepreneur, you've got to make those evaluations and say, hey, I made a bad call on that one or whatever. You know, let's let's move on and, and go through the process one more time. But I also think that it's a hard thing for entrepreneurs to have to do is when you've hired somebody and you're like, well, I want to give them another chance. I want to give them another chance. And that you, you definitely, you've got to provide feedback and you've got to do that. But if they're detrimental to the organization, you've got to cut your losses and move on because you could take down a lot of other people within that organization with them if you don't do something about it. Well, and I think that that's a very healthy way to look at it and part of the expertise that you're able to provide to clients. Yes. Because I think what you're looking for in employees is often that same skill set that you're helping clients with in crisis communication. Yeah. Well, and I think you want somebody who is really passionate and believes in what you are doing. Trish works diligently to build a culture of brand ambassadors, those she can trust to embody the DeBerry mission. Clearly, I cannot be at every client meeting you know, every hour of the day. I've got to have people that I empower to represent me, the DeBerry name, with critical thinking skills um, and coming up with innovative solutions to issues that clients are facing. Um, but yeah, I mean, you want somebody at the end of the day that's as passionate as you are about what they're doing day in and day out. Now here's where you get an exclusive peek into how a seasoned brand strategist would guide you to market your brand. First up is how should an entrepreneur differentiate themselves in a competitive landscape? 
I ask that you first start with two questions here. Who is your idea for? And what's your idea for? Well, any entrepreneur that's got a great idea, I mean, you've got to look at what the competition is doing in the marketplace. Who are your competitors? And then, to your point, how are you going to differentiate yourself from those competitors, especially competitors that may have been in the market 15, 20 years? I mean, you've got to be doing something uniquely different. Um, and so I think it's a lot of that. I think it's a lot of due diligence. I think it's a lot of research. I think it's a lot of trial and error. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a lot of um, networking and talking to people. Um, if you've got a great idea and you're talking to people about it and um, demonstrating what the service or the product is. Then here's the biggest question. What change are you trying to make? As you build your brand, consider viewing yourself as a marketer. As Trish said, your opportunity as a marketer is to change and connect the members of this community using an integrated approach. People are often disconnected, they fear being unseen, and you, as the agent of change, are there to make connection happen. Early adopters are your match that can ignite momentum. If you can find some early adopters that are really, again, passionate about what you're doing, and then begin to talk to other people. I mean, that's gold, right? I mean, what you can't pay for is buzz on the street. Consider this. Once you've attracted those early adopters, ask yourself, why will they tell their friends about my business? What will they tell their friends? And so, um, you know, I mean, you you can buy ads on television and in print, or you can do social media and digital strategy and all that, but if at the end of the day, you're not creating any buzz for what you're trying to accomplish just in dinner conversations or lunch conversations, you need to be doing a better job of getting in front of people. Trish identifies a common blind spot for entrepreneurs who don't go all in when it comes to marketing what they do. And she talks about how to deliver anticipated, personal, and relevant messages that people actually want to get, not what you may think they want to hear. Here's a hint. It's not what's popular. It's what's persuasive. I'm a big proponent of research. I mean, I really am. Whether that's quantitative research or whether that's qualitative research. Quantitative research meaning, you know, whether it's it's calling people um, from a research strategy standpoint. You know, there's a lot of research that we do that's internet-based to be able to really glean a lot of really valuable data. But it's also qualitative research. I mean, they, those are traditional focus groups and, you know, letting people look at things and hear things. And um, I like doing both because I think quantitative certainly has its role, especially when you look at regression analysis associated with that quantitative data and where that regression analysis leads you to not necessarily the most popular message, which is what you think in your gut may be. But what you're looking for is the most persuasive messages. What is that message that's really going to move people and turn people to either vote for a certain candidate or buy your product? And so that's where quantitative really comes in. I mean, the qualitative piece is just letting people touch and feel and see. And um, I think that whole conversation and dynamic and interaction between people in a focus group is incredibly valuable too. But putting both of those together, the quantitative and the qualitative, really helps you hone in on message. So it's up to you to make an assertion here. Outline a promise. Choose your extremes. Find the people that you seek to change and show up with your best offer. That's how buzz is created that you can't buy. Always seek to learn, connect, solve, assert, believe, see, and test. Yes, test. 
It's tough to find a way to weave your brand into dinner conversation or to find the best message for your brand. But without a doubt, the heart and soul of growing an idea is the obsessive pursuit of becoming irresistible. When I talk about strategy and we look at whether it's a political campaign or whether it's a client campaign, you've got to look at what is what is the messaging associated with that. And you've got to be consistent about that messaging because everybody seems, needs to be singing from the same song sheet. I mean, it's not a good idea if you've got multiple messages going on as you're trying to sell or differentiate yourself in the marketplace. I mean, you've got to be sold on what that capability is and then communicate that effectively. But everybody's got to be communicating that same message. Once you have comprehensive research to help decide what the common message is for your brand, then you need to look at how you approach marketing. The best marketers are those that approach their work like farmers instead of hunters. Plant, tend, plow, fertilize, weed, repeat. And that's exactly what Trish did for her client, Dr. Smith's. A diaper rash cream that she took on as a product local San Antonio moms used and elevated it to national status. Well, I mean, we were really early adopters, I think, in that whole um, influencer um, environment. Um, you know, one of the, the products that we had for a very long time, Mission Pharmacol, um, Dr. Smith's, which if you haven't used that for your child, uh, yes. I would advocate for using it. Yes. So the challenge that we were given at that time was they really wanted us to launch this product nationally because it had been really a San Antonio kind of... Um, um, cult mentality, like a group of moms would talk about it. It's that street buzz that I'm talking about, which was good, but they really had nothing to amplify it. And so the CEO said, look, I want to, I want to launch this product nationally and I don't want to do traditional media. He's like, I know this, there's this whole social media thing that's just happening. I mean, the Facebook and everything, and that's how I want to do it. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to buy ads. I don't want to do anything. And we were like, okay. So through a lot of trial and error, but what we created were influencers and ambassadors for the brand in different pockets of the country. Um, granted, some of those were compensated, um, as you have to be. Some of them weren't. But we were able to create an evangelical following associated with the brand as a result of the influencers and the ambassadors that we had, especially when it comes to mommy products, so to speak. Because what do you do when you're a new mom and your baby's screaming and has diaper rashing? You go on the internet and you start looking or whatever. And so, you know, if you can find in your feed, you know, an influencer or, or a blogger who has said, hey, I've tried this product and it's awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it made all the difference in the world. And then two years later, we were in Chicago with um, Juliana Rancic and Bill Rancic um, doing a launch in Walgreens oh, because they're based outside of Chicago doing a brand launch of Dr. Smith's across the country. And it was solely through social and influencers and bloggers. And we still do that very, very powerfully today. SeaWorld being an example of one of them. I mean, they have made their way through a crisis, obviously, and have had to kind of reinvent themselves. But a lot of it has been through social media influencers, family, bloggers. Um, anyway, it's, it's critical. I don't know how you launch a brand without it. One could only hope to weave together a movement or grow community and then get out of its way as it takes a life of its own and then builds a cult following. That rarely happens. In fact, there's always new ideas tempting the early adopters, and they're often looking for the next best thing. That's where you must avoid letting your brand fade by having a multi-layered and consistent approach to your marketing. 
So I think what the very best thing that we can offer clients is strategic thinking when it comes to communications. And when I talk about communications, that could be crisis communications, that could be integrated marketing, which we do a tremendous amount of now. And most people kind of go, huh, what's integrated marketing? And it's really not just about the traditional form of advertising now, it's really about social and digital and how the whole layered effect in YouTube and how that all works together in order to accomplish a client's goals. And so I think that's what we do extremely well, but we're not just tacticians, it's what I tell people. I mean, we're not monkeys that sit at a computer and, and crank out content. Sprinkle um, communication on Yeah, on, on a social site, exactly. I mean, we really are very strategic in the way we go about client work. And I think that that's a key differentiator for us because we take a step back, look at the strategy, what is the overarching strategy first, and then what are the tactics that come under that strategy? It's not necessarily, what do they say, ready, aim, shoot? Yeah. yeah. I tell clients all the time, and I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of digital social strategy first, combined with some traditional and not necessarily the other way around because A, it is so cost efficient. B, and most importantly, it is so incredibly targeted. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you throw up a billboard and you're stuck with that billboard for three to six months, however long you sign the contract for. The beauty with social and digital is you can change that strategy and that messaging on a dime depending on the goals that you're trying to accomplish or the objectives that you're trying to achieve. I mean, that's powerful. How important is it for a brand, a new brand, to find an agency that fits their mission? I think you've got to look at budget, obviously. I mean, I think you've got to be, um, I think what you have to configure into your, your plan when you launch a brand is, I think, where a lot of people skimp is typically on marketing. And that is really one of your most powerful opportunities, um, is really marketing and what fits under that marketing strategy, digital, social, you know, earned media all of those things. And I and I, I think that's a mistake that people make is they don't allot enough dollars associated with that because typically agents agencies aren't going to work for free. I mean, we all have overhead. You know, so I think it's important for you to have a budget associated with that. And I'm not saying that it's got to be a ridiculous budget. I mean, I but something so that you but you can also, I think, go to that agency and say, hey, I've got a slim budget right now, but I really want to grow with you guys and with us as we move along and we really feel like, you know, these are goals that we want to hit. And if you guys hit that with us, we think that there's opportunity. And I think a lot of agencies are willing to at least take a listen to that. They're not necessarily willing to work for free for a long time, but I think they're willing to look at a budget that they think, hey, there's something here and we can grow with this brand. And it was a lot like the one that I talked to you about, Dr. Smith. The budgets weren't huge there either, but yeah, it was an exciting time and an exciting challenge that was thrown in our face. And, you know, we jumped in. So, yes. yeah, and it was all that much more fulfilling and fun. Yeah, at the same time. But our personality matched that brand. And I think, too, you've got to look at an agency that has your personality in mind. Um, you know, with Dr. Smith, we had a lot of young moms that were, you know, on staff. And so it was perfect because we could be, you know, living, breathing ambassadors for the the program, too. And so I think all of that is helpful. And I but I think it pays to shop around. When you yeah. sit down and have that first meeting with a potential client, what are you looking for? Typically, I'm looking for somebody that knows we are going to bring value to the table. Um, it goes back to what I said before about the fact that we are not just tacticians. Um, we are, we want to be collaborative. We want to be a strategic partner with you as we move down the road together. 
But you know, I've had clients in the past that have said, strategy out the door or whatever, I think this is gonna work and do this. And then you just become, you're like, well, what is the value that we're bringing to the table if you're just gonna dictate what we should be doing associated with the service or the brand? I mean, that's not a partnership. And so again, I think I really look for clients that believe in what we do, believe in the value proposition that we bring to the table and are willing to work together with us as a strategic partner um, to achieve what they're trying to accomplish. I've heard it said before that if you can change your thinking, you can change your world. And Trish DeBerry has done exactly that. She looks at exceeding expectations every time, even if it means a new challenge that she's never faced before. As I talked before, I'm, I tend to be a risk taker and I've had some opportunities that have come along the way in my career um, that most people might have looked at and turned down and said, eh, I don't wanna do that, I don't think it's the right path. But really, I think my first foray into crisis communications work was when Ed Garza, who was running, then city councilman Ed Garza approached me and said, hey, I want you to be my campaign manager. And I was like, um, Ed, I've never done that before. And I think you want my partner, Frank, because Frank Guerra, who was in partnership with the because Frank was doing a lot of political work at that time. And he was like, no, 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 I want you. And I'm like, well, why? And he said, well, because you have a skill set that I really feel like I need. Um, I like the fact that you've never managed a campaign before, so there's not a lot of baggage, because sometimes in politics that can be a problem. But you understand communications. You know, you're highly networked. I mean, all of those things that I think that I need. And so um, I talked to Frank um, and he was when he asked what Ed wanted. And he was like, well, he said, I think you ought to really think about it. So at the end of the day, long story short, he said, look, I think if you're really interested in politics, which I was, I'd minored in political science in college. And um, he said, I think you ought to look at this opportunity. Take a six month leave of absence from the business or whatever. Um, and then, you know, you can come back. We want, obviously, we want you to come back. And so I thought, yeah, six month leave of absence. I still be able to do work at, you know, the agency and still manage this. Let me tell you. It was 24-7. You know, managing a mayoral campaign is unlike anything, any other beast I think I've ever tackled in my life. It's a crisis 24-7 because, I mean, things are moving so quickly. You know, from a, from a strategy standpoint, it's what the opposition is doing and, you know, what they surprise you with and how do you react to that. And um, it was crazy. I mean, I was very fortunate that I did that at a time when I was not married and I didn't have kids, and so I had the freedom to be able to do that. But, um, you know, Ed was a severe underdog. He had $30,000 in the bank, and we were up against an opponent that had $350,000 in the bank, and people were telling me, you're crazy. I can't believe you're gonna do this. There's no way he's gonna win. Well, yeah, he won by a landslide, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it was a great ride, and it would not have been nearly as fun as if we hadn't won. But there again, I just think you're you're built for that kind of work. I mean, it's a it's a cra politics is a, again like agency life is a crazy pace, and it's multitasking, you know, and it's prioritizing and delegating, um, hiring the right team, um, all those things. And so, anyway, I think that sort of built me, so to speak, for crisis communications work. I don't get easily flustered. I don't think I'm really taken aback by a whole lot, and I've heard a lot of crazy things over the years. Um, I think I'm cool under pressure, um, which I think is 
is helpful. I may not be when I get home at night <laughs> when I can let off some stress or whatever, but yeah, but that kind of, I guess, built um, a core competency for me around crisis um, because of what politics is. And so then that translated not just into political work, but crisis communications for corporate clients, crisis communications that individuals might be in. Um, and it's kind of weird to say I get um, kind of a rush, um, yeah, adrenaline rush off that kind of work. Of course, yeah. yes, because it's solving problems. Right. So, creatively. Exactly. And so, like I said, I mean, I think either you're you're built for that and you really enjoy that kind of work or or you're not. And, and weirdly, I'm built for that kind of work. <laughs> and you enjoy it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Trish DeBerry is a pioneer. She has pioneered and built a woman-owned, woman-directed business at a time when not many women own businesses. In fact, she sets the bar for the next generation of women and entrepreneurs in San Antonio who are seeking to do things differently. I think they buy into kind of my mantra, which is a restless discontent with the status quo. And how can we constantly be better and be more innovative and continually grow and differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. That's perfect. I, I think it would be wonderful to have a staff of millennials who are constantly keeping you <laughs> inspired. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they're um, frustrating, yes, at the same time. But yeah, I mean, I think we've worked really hard to cultivate a millennial set that I think really um, is teaching me a lot, um, but I'm also able to teach them a lot as well. So it's worked both ways. Thinking back on my conversation with Trish, I was inspired by the unbeatable will to overcome, even when it means that you don't know what's ahead. I think it's easy when you've got a big idea, and I'm a, I'm a big proponent of go big or go home. I mean, we've heard that phrase a lot, but I think the blind spot and the learning, I think, for most entrepreneurs is to be patient. Um, I think it's easy to have a big idea and think, you know, um, in the first year or second year or whatever, I'm going to I'm gonna get this big office and things are going well and I'm going to hire this big team and, you know, mm -hmm. and overhead starts like escalating and then all of a sudden you've got one that great client that you had or whatever decides, oh, well, I'm going to pack up a move and the headquarters is moving to, you know, San Diego, California or something and then you're lost. I mean, what do you do? It's just, it's, so hard to get back on your, you know, the right footing again after a loss like that. So I think you've got to be patient. You've got to grow strategically. You've got to grow smartly. And then I think once you're, you've looked at a five-year milestone, a 10-year milestone, then you've got to look at, okay, how do we scale this appropriately? And so just don't get caught up in, I've got to have fancy office space, you know, to be able, people aren't necessarily interested in that. In fact, I think for a new business, I think some clients might be a little turned off by that because they would think, what are you doing in these fancy digs? I mean, how much money are you spending? You've got to be smart about those things, about the perception that people have of you, especially being a new entrepreneur and building credibility. In, in being an expert in communication, we all know that everything communicates. So what advice would you give to a new entrepreneur to give that, that perception of experience or a fake it till you make it before they've made it. <laughs> There's a little bit of that, I think. You know, I will tell you, being a female in the lines of work that I have found myself in, whether it's been politics or whether it's been owning my own business or whether it's been crisis communications work, I think there was this perception that 
um, a female isn't necessarily cut out for this line of work. I don't think that's the case anymore. I mean, but certainly when I started my business 20 years ago, the times were a little bit different. And so I use that to really exceed expectations because when somebody underestimated me, it was my opportunity to blow their socks off because they weren't expecting it. And I really think that's kind of how I built my business early on was really, like I said, exceeding the expectations and making people kind of do a double take like, you know, I gave her that work, but I didn't really think that anything was going to come of it. I think as a new entrepreneur, you have to consistently exceed expectations. And rewrite the script. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I feel like I rewrote the script along the way too. I mean, you know, there were um, oftentimes with clients that they wanted to bring in a bigger player, you know, out of Austin to do something because, well, you know, they're bigger and they've been in the field a lot longer and, you know, I think the other thing is you can't be afraid sometimes of collaboration because don't be threatened by it. Right. Because it wasn't like they were telling me you're not good enough, although I felt that way at first. But what I found in the end is I was able to learn a lot along the way um, with the help of people who had been in the business a lot longer. It's one thing if they're just going to say, I'm cutting you off at the knees and I'm going with this other place, other firm. It's another thing when they're saying, I want you to work with these folks. You guys stake out who's going to take what to accomplish what we need to get done. And it's worked out. Well, and it's having that balance of humility with, with the curiosity to always learn. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's even today when I look at the number of millennials that I have working in the office, I glean something from them every single day. Um, and it's easy for people to discount millennials and, and you hear all kinds of things, but the ones that I've been exposed to yeah, have been um, super curious, which I think is an incredible asset. Um, I think they buy into kind of my mantra, which is a restless discontent with the status quo. And how can we constantly be better and be more innovative and continually grow and differentiate ourselves in the marketplace? Her unbeatable spirit and passion drives her to go down the road less traveled, which is often something that many entrepreneurs face as they pave the way for their new future, for their families, for their clients, and for their employees. You know, I started six years ago when I became like independent and I was a solo practitioner and I had six people and now I have 21 people. Um, and so, you know, we're constantly looking at new opportunities um, that exist. I'm not ready to retire yet by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't think that I'm cut out necessarily for um, retirement yet. I mean, at some point in the, in the future, but do you think you will? I'll, I'll always have, I'll always be able to find something. Yeah. To keep me busy. I mean, whether it's nonprofit work or board work or what have you, but um, I think in 10 years you could see hopefully more growth into not just local, but a lot more regional, um, perhaps some more federal work. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't rule out, um, I'm very interested in politics, so I think that there's, you know, an opportunity for lobbying or a lobbying skill set that may come along, yeah, with with the agency as well as we round out, you know, the full spectrum of capabilities. So, and, and as it's solidified, you know, I, I can't wait to see what the DeBerry Group does. 
Um, looking at when you're 99 years old and, and looking back at your life, what will mean that you left a legacy? Hopefully my daughter's taken over the company. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful. Uh, yeah, I don't know. My son talks about coming to work all the time, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a race to the finish. Exactly. That's it. right. That's right. <laughs> well, thank yeah. you so much for your time thank today, you. Trish. Thank you. Thank you. I found it valuable that she advised to give yourself grace whenever balls are dropped. In fact, she holds her head high and continues to overcome challenges as they come her way and sets the example for the rest of us that if we keep putting one foot in front of the other, we can make it there too. Thank you for listening to the show this week. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcast and Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. And while you're there, please do give us a review. You can also write to us on Facebook and Instagram at SA Business Heroes. Our show was produced this week by Catherine Sanchez. Also, special thanks to Trish DeBerry for sharing her expertise and advice. I'm Angelica Palm, and you're listening to San Antonio Business Heroes from the Bank of San Antonio. 